I'm Gareth Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. Alon's successes and failures have taught him lessons about hiring that he shares with the goal to help us grow as quickly and effectively as possible while avoiding expensive, possibly business-sinking employment mistakes. Today, we're looking at the metrics of employment. More specifically, we're going to be considering three metrics that Alon feels are particularly important. The fail early metric, we've heard this mentioned in previous episodes, the quality metric, and then also the performance metric, where Lon shares something called an ISP 3 plus 1. It's guaranteed you've never heard of or read about that before. We'll also discuss what to do when someone isn't performing, and also how to set up your new employee for success. Let's begin with this. My view is that employment is far less empirical than it should be in small business. Startup entrepreneurs make some very classical mistakes when it comes to employing. As I've said previously in this series is that very often we employ the people we can afford and not necessarily the people who can do the job or more importantly, do the job well. But what does well mean? What is a job well done in a role? Each role in the business should get to a point where it can be measured. And the first place to start that whole journey is at the beginning of your journey with a new employee. It really is very reasonable that many of us don't get empirical enough as we consider our HR or employment processes. The world is filled with messages that can be polarizing and standing on one side of this line makes us bad bosses, while standing on the other seems to make us that cool person to work for. None of us want to be considered a bad boss, so we tend toward the other side, but to the detriment of both our business and that employee. Anyone that tells you otherwise has an understanding that is, well, surface deep. And that is what Alon is trying to guide us towards understanding. While we do need those soft skills and a welcoming culture, employee output and satisfaction is directly related to the extent to which we are able to set and communicate clear and achievable objectives. What is the metric that will make it very clear to me and the employee that this was a bad choice for both of us? In the recruitment process, it's very important that before you contract, that you both look each other in the eye and discuss this fail early metric, where you would both agree that if you can't achieve a certain metric, a certain standard, a certain number, a certain volume, then this isn't the job for you and you aren't the employee for me. And the reason why is because if you can't hit that number, then the business is impaired and the type of pressure you will have on you will make your life a living hell as I keep asking you to achieve the numbers that the business requires. So you're going to be unhappy and I'm going to be unhappy. So I'm going to work out what that number is. I'm going to be very sure that that number can be achieved and then I'm going to express that to you. And I'm going to prove to you that all the other people who are in that role are able to achieve it. So an easy place to find this thinking is in a sales department where you have targets. I expect you to do a million dollars a quarter. Everyone else who has started could do that in their first 12 months 
or their first quarter or their second quarter, whatever you've set it out to be. And so that's my expectation of you. And so if you do not achieve that million dollars in that quarter, then we both are going to be unhappy. I'm not going to achieve the sales that I require based on your cost to company, your desk cost, etc. And you are not going to feel happy because I'm going to put a huge amount of pressure on you. It's one thing to be convinced that the fail early metric is important, but a whole other matter to get it done right. Alon helps us to begin to figure this out with the following. You always start from a place of what the business needs. I think that's the starting point, is the entrepreneur taking the time to actually work out what the business needs in order for the model to work. And that is a discipline that successful entrepreneurs have, is what I actually need. Then you work out whether one person can do it, or two people can do it, or three machines can do it, whatever the case may be. So who can execute on that need? At what volume, at what speed? It's the same thing as if I'm setting up a factory and I know I need a certain amount of power. Like I'll work out if I've got all these machines drawing a certain amount of power, do I have sufficient power? Do I have to go to three-phase power in order to ensure that my factory can operate? Or can I just use direct municipal power? So that goes back to the same thing with a department. If I'm expecting 100 units to be sold a month and the average person can do 20 units, I need five people. And that's why it always comes down to maths. When somebody new joins your organization, you have that conversation saying, my expectation is that you, as a salesperson, produce a million dollars a year. And they will inevitably ask, well, is it possible? And then you will reference all the other people who've joined who have done it. And of course, there'll be some people who didn't do it and they're no longer with us. But there are many who have achieved it and those are the kinds of people that we want in the organization. But you agree to that number. Now, if, for example, you've laden them with other responsibilities that take away a certain amount of time, and impair their ability to achieve that million dollars, they might say, well, I'll give you 800,000 because I'm doing these other things that the other people are not doing. So it is a, a logical argument about why that number needs to be moved. And it is a conversation and it is a negotiation, but it's one based on logic, not on emotion or supposition. You've worked it out. But not all things are as straightforward as sales. I asked Alon to describe his approach to a more nuanced, vague, or technical output. So what happens if it's not a sales department, but a more technical area? How do you measure that in a metric? How do you measure a graphic design studio, or somebody producing videography, e-learning, a podcast like what we're doing right now? How do you measure that? You do your research, and you start to find out what... The average time is to produce a minute or an hour, whatever the unit that is sold in that particular industry is. This might be that for every minute we produce on this podcast, there's four minutes of pre-production and five minutes of post-production. So there is 10 minutes for every minute. So it's a 10 to 1 ratio. And if I know that there is 10 minutes for every one minute, and that there's so many minutes 
in a month and I put a 75% capacity, in other words, I say you will only be working 75% of the time because you'll be looking at your Facebook and you'll be going to the toilet and you'll be having coffee. If I do that, then I can work out how many minutes you should be producing. And then I can go to the next level and say, well, what is the quality of that minute? And maybe there are two grades of quality, that maybe in a quality A, it's 10 to 1, but in a quality B, which is a much higher quality, it's 15 to 1. And then I can start breaking that down. So in a studio, you can start working out things like this type of job is this complex, this type of job is that complex. My caution to people in a technical space is not to over-engineer it because you can get an Excel spreadsheet that will you know, be from line 1 to uh, you know, 10,000. So it's important that you chunk it up into rules of thumb that you can manage. And so you tend to manage the exception and not the rule. So if you see that the studio is supposed to be producing X amount of hours of output a month and you're getting 5% or more or less, no one's going to be upset. But if you're sitting at 50% less, there's a problem here. But you have the metric with which to measure the relativity of output versus what you have calculated based on research. Remember, we're talking about a fail early metric. And that means there are definitely going to be those that don't achieve what we, together with them, would have hoped for. At this point, we need to act. We need to move forward with confidence. And Alon has some insights into how we are able to do this. So when that time comes where that individual has not achieved the number, it's no big surprise. First of all, you have been managing them up until that point, so they are aware that you're aware that they are not achieving the milestones to that million dollars or to that output number, 100,000 units, whatever the case may be. They would be aware that they are not going to achieve it beforehand, and then at some point, perhaps if in my example where I was using a million dollars in a year and they're at $100,000 in six months, you turn around and you say, listen, Gareth, statistically, you ain't going to make it. We failed early. It was a fail early metric. It wasn't I waited till the end of the year. And by the way, I'm just using a year as just a time period. This could be three months, it could be two months, it could be six months. You determine the full period and the fail early metric period. So at six months, you turn around and say, you have not achieved that number and it is time to go. So what a fail early metric really is, is a shorter time period with a logical number associated with it that tells both you and the employee that they are unlikely to achieve the volume or target for a longer period of time, i.e. the year for the million dollars. Now that we have a fail early metric in place, it would be a tragedy if these objectives and targets were achieved, but the quality of the output was so low that it fails to deliver on the promise we make to our clients. And so the next metric of our Metrics of Employment Venn diagram emerges. The metric? Quality. Up until now, we've been talking about quantitative metrics such as sales targets or number of units that are produced. They're relatively easy to measure. But what does quality mean? I might think that the, the 
shirt that I'm wearing is is a high quality product, you might think it's a terrible quality product. So how do we measure qualitative stuff? It tends to be very subjective. So in qualitative measurement, you normally use the tool of a rubric that gives you more than one way to assess the overall level of quality. So to use the example of American Idols, there's a person standing on a stage, they're singing their heart out, their mom thinks they sound like a canary, they are beautiful. Their father thinks that they are absolutely amazing. Tears are streaming down their face. But yet the judges are cringing as they listen to the shriek from the individual in front of them. Same performance, two different perspectives on quality. And then even within the three judges also differ. We've seen on American Idols that one loves them and two hate them or two love them and one hates them or everyone loves them and everyone hates them. So they all agree, disagree. And even amongst the so-called professionals who are immersed in the industry of music will have different perspectives around quality. So what are we measuring here? As somebody who's sat on numerous judging boards, it's a very, very subjective thing. And so what you do is you create a whole bunch of rubrics around different aspects of quality. What was their performance like? What was their range like? Were they original? Did they dance well? Do I think this person can grow? And so the judges would be sitting there with a whole bunch of rubrics and going from a 1 to 10, I think the performance was an 8, and the other one will say it's a 7, and the other one will say it's a 7. And along the next rubric, it might be that I think this person has got an original approach, the other person might say slightly less original. And overall, when you add up all these rubrics, they will generally give a, an average that will give a rounded qualitative view. In organizations that require qualitative metrics, my recommendation is more than one person who is doing the qualitative assessment is involved in assessing the level of quality. So far we have our fail early metric, our quality metric, but this Venn diagram and our approach to the metrics of employment would be incomplete without considering important insights related to measuring and managing performance. We've spoken about that to some degree because fail early metric is a performance metric, but its performance is measured over a shorter period to ensure that you don't waste time and money to wait for the end result too long into the future. So I, th I think what I need to say up front to the listeners is that I certainly am not a performance specialist at all. Where I'm speaking from is 30 years of employing and making lots of mistakes. So what I've realized over these years is the importance of setting performance criteria clearly upfront, agreed upon, often, and communicated. Within RaceCorp, we call that the ISP 3 plus 1, which is the individual success plan. And the 3 plus 1 is that there are three 
main areas plus one personal development area where we measure performance. So let's start off with the plus one. Our view is that you as an individual need to grow, and we're going to measure you on your growth as an individual, your improvement of skills, experience, etc. Because we understand that if you're not growing, then you are not going to be happy at some point and you're not going to be able to grow with the business. And that's going to make me unhappy. So that's actually about your longevity in the business. The other three areas are, are you doing your job properly? The role description that we've both signed. Are you building your department, your role by creating new process, new whatever? Are you building something new? And thirdly, are you reaching out and supporting other departments with your skills or expertise? So those are the other three things that we measure, the three plus one. And we do that every quarter. So this is about the rhythm of every quarter you are measured on this. It's not too many items per area. We agree on them. They are achievable. We both sign. And the following quarter, I come to you and I say, Gareth, right, last quarter, let's see, we agreed the following. And it's a very easy conversation. There's nothing here where it's subjective. I have a straightforward conversation. And what I've found over the years, and it's, it's hard to, to performance manage, especially senior people, where you, know, you, you like them, you know they're professional, you know they're working hard, and now I have to measure you. It feels almost unfair. But what I found over the years with four ISP 3 plus ones, when you average that for the year, you get a good average. It actually, if they do badly on the one quarter, they'll do extremely well on the other quarter. And overall, what I found is following this process of performance management is that you actually get a very, very accurate view of that individual. But more important for me is that it isn't cringy for you to actually have that conversation because it's actually just maths. We agreed. I didn't force you. We had the conversation. We agreed. You did 20 instead of 50. This is the score. We agreed 50. I asked you if you could achieve 50. I needed 50. You said you could do 50. You did 20. It's actually quite an easy calculation. So you get to the score and then I can adjust it up and down based on certain discretionary powers. Some people might be able to move it up and down by 10%, some people by 20%, up or down based on your attitude or level of effort or whatever the case may be. So it's got a little bit of flex in it. So that is a very important discipline to bring into the business very early on in the entrepreneurial journey. And by the way, in that process, there's a whole pre-process there where I have a conversation with you with a certain questions, including how can I support you more as a manager? Where have I failed you as a manager? So we can have that conversation. And if you're mature enough, you can have that conversation straight with me. And I can listen and say, you're actually right, I haven't supported you in this, this, and the other. What an insight, your ISP 3 plus 1. As we wind this conversation down, let's take a moment to reflect on setting up our employees for success. One thing I really want to say here is what you put into that performance agreement needs to be in the power of that other individual, the person you are performance managing. It's in their power to 
actually do. It doesn't rely on somebody else to do. There might be certain other people that have got input, but they have the power to deliver on it or not. I can't ask the marketing department to be responsible for the sales number. I can ask them to be responsible for the qualified lead number, but not for the sales number, because they are not the individuals that are converting the lead to the sale. That's the sales department's role. And I can't, by the same token, make the salespeople responsible for the number of qualified leads from marketing unless I specifically designate them to go out and do cold calling to get those qualified leads. A quick summary. We need to carefully think about what metric best represents the output that our desired new role needs to achieve. This must be developed alongside what makes our business successful. Our fail early metric is derived from this metric and represents a reasonable period of time for the new hire to achieve a portion of what is expected in that role for a given period. For example, a fail early period is three to six months in a year rather than waiting for the end of the entire 12 month period to determine whether or not that employee is going to be successful and whether or not to decide to part company. Our second metric, quality, is vital during this fail early period and beyond. And it is essential to look at quality through the lens of various rubrics. Where possible, to have this quality assessed by someone in addition to yourself or more than just one manager or individual is ideal. Performance is a balance between agreed upon targets and objectives and the ongoing management of the activities and energy that ultimately lead to these being met. We must also always remember to set our employees up for success, which means supporting them both along the journey and with targets and metrics that are clearly defined and achievable. It's been an excellent and insightful discussion. And in closing, here's a parting word from Elon. This series is about avoiding hiring mistakes. The other side of that coin is avoiding retention mistakes. When you as the person hiring are not clear as to what you want in terms of quantity and quality and you do not have the ability to communicate that often and fairly then you are part of the problem you are part of the mistake of hiring so this is not just about bringing the individual in but actually retaining them and making sure that you don't keep people who do not perform and do not frustrate people who are performing but are not being recognized because neither of you know what you want. If you have any questions or thoughts you'd like to share related to this episode or hiring in general, please feel free to share these on the Racecorp page on your favorite social media platform. Please use the hashtag AvoidingHiringMistakes to help us locate it more easily. Alternatively, you can make contact with us using the options found on racecorp.com. My name is Gareth Armstrong, and I'll see you in the next episode.